Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation We are still uh, self-quarantining here at home in Massachusetts. I don't know what you guys are all up to. It'll be a week later when you hear this. Um, Wherever you are, I hope you're safe and I hope you're staying healthy. Um, I'm really excited today to introduce you to Bright Horizons College Coach. You may have seen there's new branding on the podcast. Um, If you ever visit our website, you might've noticed that there. Um, What's changed? Well, we have a brand new logo we're super excited about, and we have an updated website that we're also really excited about, but beyond that, really nothing. So it's the same company, same experts, same mission. Uh, Really, we just wanted to better align ourselves with Bright Horizons, which is a company we've been part of since 2006. So new name, but everything else basically is staying the same. So today's show, we are entirely focusing on ninth and 10th graders uh, today because we know that there are a lot of things that you need to be thinking about. And so we want to guide you in that thinking as we do. Um, So we're going to be talking about the role of extracurricular activities. We're going to be talking about financial tips, um, but we're going to start with probably the key element of any great college application, and that is what students are doing in the classroom. Uh, And joining me to talk about all of this um, is my colleague, Christine Kenyon, who is a former uh, admissions officer at Babson College. Hi, Christine. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. And thanks for joining. My pleasure. Uh, Okay. So, One of the things that we always talk about in in, in a college application, the first thing that uh, admissions officers turn to is the transcript. Mm -hmm. And today, what we want to talk about is what goes into creating the best possible transcript when it comes to things like curriculum choices. So my first question for you is, um, what's, we talk about, a lot of high schools have graduation requirements. Is it, is the goal really to just hit the graduation requirements, or is there more than that? Great question. So every high school has different graduation requirements, every county, every state um, that students will be working towards when they start and enroll in high school. And so students definitely need to fulfill those graduation requirements and be working towards them. But I think what makes a student a more competitive applicant for undergraduate admission is to go beyond those graduation requirements and to continue taking courses as offered at their high school to enrich their learning experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, we always say college is about going above and beyond. And this is one example of how you can do that. So what is your advice to families who may be thinking, uh, planning ninth grade right now, or perhaps freshmen who are looking at what they're going to take in the coming year? Where do you recommend students start? 
Yeah. Great question. So I think this is where doing a little bit of academic mapping can be helpful. And so as students are looking at the course selection available to them in ninth grade, what's being recommended from their teachers, from their school counselor, to also look ahead and see, okay, if I took this course, what would be available to me within this track in 10th grade, in 11th, and potentially 12th? You don't want to have a blueprint of you know every single course you want to take in high school because you're going to grow and change a lot in high school and hopefully discover some new content areas that might excite you that perhaps you didn't know that you were interested in. But I do think taking a step back and looking at some of the tracking options within the different course subjects can be helpful. And I do recommend starting by planning your schedule around the core subjects and then supplementing with um, electives as needed based on the high school and, and having balance in your schedule, but those core classes are really the most important. And when I was an admission counselor, that was the first thing my eyes beelined to when I was reviewing a transcript. And those those classes include English, history or social studies, math, uh, lab science, and world language. Great. Yeah. Good examples. And again, I think what's important to note is that at a lot of high schools, the requirements might be, say, only two years of foreign language, but we would encourage maybe sticking with that for all four years if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example, let's say in math, of what you mean by mapping out a, a plan through to um, senior year? Yeah. So at some high schools, uh, let's say for some reason you only need three years of math to graduate. So we say definitely aim for four and look ahead to see what would be available to you based on what you've already taken in seventh and eighth grade over those four years of high school. So for many students, that means starting and in the first year, maybe you're taking geometry or algebra one. What would that mean for sophomore year? Would you take algebra two? Would that be when you took geometry because you took algebra one in in your freshman year or your first year of high school? And sort of looking ahead to see what was available later on. That becomes more important, especially as students start to think about colleges and potential majors, especially if interested in the STEM fields, um, because that can be helpful to know, all right, will I be able to graduate high school with the baseline level of math content knowledge that I need to be successful in college uh, and and in the college major that I'm pursuing. And I think about that uh, in terms of when I was an admission counselor at Babson, where when I was there, the the minimum level of math a student needed to complete through high school was pre-calculus because the freshman course, the freshman math course that all students took um, within their first semester or two was calculus. They offered no earlier math than that. So you really had to have taken that class in high school to be prepared for the curriculum because Babson's a small business college. Um, And so I think looking at those options available to you in the freshman year and beyond can be helpful to sort of build a curriculum that's going to help you get closer towards accomplishing your goals in college. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think math is a big one to plan ahead for. Another one is often uh, science. So I've seen programs where if students don't take a certain level of science, Um, then that will prevent them from hitting an AP level science if that's a goal, right? And again, it's all about your individual goals. And so while some students are going to stick with all five major subjects and go all the way to the highest level available at the school, many are simply going to take college prep level in all of these areas. Um, But we do still recommend trying to stick with all five subject areas whenever possible, because I've seen that be a difference maker for all types of students who earn all types of grades. Agreed. Um, So in terms of um, 
mistakes that you've seen students make that you would caution against for this group of ninth and 10th graders? Um, you know, what's, what's one big issue that you see from time to time? I think a lot of students, um, make choices about world language without realizing how it might impact their their college admission prospects. For many colleges and universities across the U.S., as, as long as you've completed your high school or your state's graduation requirements for world language, you're good to go. But if you're looking at some of the more highly selective universities out there, world language can play a bigger role of importance, which means that there is an expectation you take it as many, if not all, years of high school. Um, and that you wouldn't skip around or jump around in terms of taking different languages just to have that on your transcript. So I think world language is, a, is something that you really want to pay close attention to when um, doing some course selection and, and academic mapping to make sure that you're thinking about, um, am I going to be able to take enough years of the world language to continue it throughout high school? Because if you end up being interested in a, in a university that has world language as part of their graduation requirements, and you've stopped taking world language at the end of your sophomore year of high school, that's a two-year gap before you would enroll right. at the college and take some sort of a world language class on their campus. And that might give admission counselors pause to say, you know, are they going to be able to hit the ground running since they haven't taken a world language in two years? And that's a part of our core curriculum. Yeah. And one thing that I've actually seen, so my son is a sophomore and one thing that I've seen is he, you know, telling me about um, students who maybe started in one language, didn't like it. So then are taking another this year and not liking it. So planning to try a third next year. That is exactly what you were mentioning. This is not helpful. Um, I actually have a very good friend whose uh, daughter started in um, Spanish, thought it was not that exciting, had a real interest in Japanese. So switch to that this year, it's going not well at all. And so wants to switch into a third language for next year. And my advice is actually go back to the language you started with, um, in this case, Spanish, because while you've taken the year away from it, uh, at least you will have three years in that one language and you definitely need to stick with it. So um, certainly high school should be exciting. You should be learning about things that you're interested in. But if college is the goal, you do have to keep in mind that it's not necessarily the time to kind of flit all over and try everything. Now, if you want to maybe do some Duolingo and see if you like a language or try a class over the summer um, to see if you like it and if you find it that you can handle it, that's a great time for exploration. Um, in the classroom, with a class that's going to go on your permanent record, probably not the best time. Yeah. Especially um, in world languages, with, which build on each other from year yes. to year in terms of comprehension and then language and discussion. Um, I think it, it's a really good point to try and stick with the same language. And if the language you chose is not the right way to go after the first year or the second year, that's okay. But think about how can I get consecutive years of enrichment in this language to build on previous stuff I've learned. Right, exactly. And the fact is quite a lot of students start language in middle school, so they end up being able to start in the second year of a language. So if you're already trying a brand new language and it's your first year, and then you don't like it and you're trying a different one, 
it's, you know, I, I think the, the, the conversations I had with my son when he chose the language he wanted to do in middle school was I'd really, they actually did something lovely at his middle school, which is that in sixth grade, they were able to try three different languages. And then he chose the one he liked the best. But when he chose it, I did say to him, barring disaster, this is the language I think you should plan to stick with at least through high school. And, um, and it's played out that way. It doesn't always. And I don't want to harp entirely on foreign language, but I think you're making really good points. Um, and this is where I do see a lot of students making mistakes on this area in particular. Um, what's another uh, issue that you see coming up sometimes um, with students uh, and their curriculum choices? This concept of sort of racing ahead to then stop and wait, where some students will either in middle school or over the summers of high school um, kind of try and leapfrog into um, upper level courses or more advanced level classes, whether it's in math or world language or whatever the case may be. But what that means is that by the time they get to their sophomore or junior year, they've maxed out the uh, the courses available to them. And so now again, they have this gap on their transcript where even if you're phenomenal on math and you love it and you wanted to take as much as you possibly could, if you can't take math in your senior year and you're planning to major in something related to the STEM fields, that's going to be an issue because you want to keep your mind going. You want to keep enriching your enriching yourself and learning more about the content area. Um, so that's where the academic mapping piece can be really helpful, I think, to really understand what is available in, in this curriculum at my high school and what makes sense to pace myself and make sure that my curriculum is balanced and that I'm not just racing ahead to then have a really easy senior year that isn't really the best indication of my potential at the collegiate level. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a, um, there can be a tendency with really bright students to do exactly that, right? Like just, well, isn't it super impressive that I took Calc BC as a sophomore the reality is at the most selective level, I've seen it, right? So is it impressive? Absolutely. It definitely is. I don't want to negate that, but it's not as impressive as I think people think it will be. And so if you have the resources and the ability to go off campus for math and to continue your math study, okay, that's one thing. But if you are going to be limited because there isn't an online course offering or there isn't a local university where you could go and take more advanced math, then racing ahead really doesn't do you any good. And, and as you point out, really could actually hold you back, which seems a little ironic, but, but is, is true. Um, any other tips or advice that you would offer around um, course selection as students in their undergraduate years? The only other thing to think about is um, science is available. And I think if a student is aiming for some of the more highly selective colleges out there or plans to major in a STEM-based field, um, it is going to be important to see the trifecta of biochem and physics on the transcript in some way, shape, or form within the four years of high school. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, lab science is ideally assuming that the school offers them, which usually they do if they have those three. So Christine, thank you so much. I think really great tips for our families and hopefully you all out there are listening and putting this into play. Um, and, uh, so thanks for joining today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Beth. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about financial tips for those of you who are in ninth and 10th grade. So don't go away.
become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are talking about financial tips for underclassmen, and I'm thrilled, as always, to welcome my colleague, Tara Piantanita Kelly, who is a former financial aid officer at a number of institutions, including Rochester Institute of Technology, Hi, Tara. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks. How are you? Great. I'm doing well. We're quarantining at home. Fun stuff. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, why don't we start? um, Just I think there's a lot of great advice that you shared with me before the show around what ninth and 10th graders can be thinking about right now. Um, So why don't we start with that? What are the primary things that you would want them to focus on? Yeah. So I was, as I was putting this together, I was thinking what if when my kids were in ninth and 10th grade, what was I doing? And I came up with a very bad acronym, SIRP, S-I-R-P. It's um, save, invest, research, and plan. So I guess we should start with, yeah, save. Saving is always a good thing, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Let's start with save. Okay. Well, you know, the old adage, buy low, sell high, right? Now you got plenty of opportunities to buy low right now. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, now's a great time to to uh, perhaps invest or, or save. Um, could be in a, you know, your 529 plan or it doesn't have to be. So just, you just know you have some big expenses coming up in the next few years. So being prudent about saving right now is a, is a good idea. A quick question for you. So one of the things I know that we hear frequently is, if, you know, we shouldn't have even bothered saving because if we hadn't saved, we might have gotten more aid or, and we talk about it a lot, but I always feel like it bears repeating. What is the reality of saving for college and its impact on your financial aid prospects? Gotcha. Does, does saving for college reduce your ability to receive some need-based aid? And the answer is yes, it does but probably not to the extent that you would think. So I have families quite often that come to me and they say, oh, we need to restructure some of our assets and before we go to college. And it's like, well, before we do that, let's talk about your income first, because if your income already precludes you from getting any need-based aid, you could have a million dollars in the bank. It's not going to make a difference because right, your income right. puts you out of reach already. But uh, the, the assessment rate for parental assets is about four to 6%, meaning if you've saved, 
$100,000, that is only going to reduce your student's eligibility for need-based aid by between $4,000 and $6,000. So yeah. which would you rather have? $4,000 to $6,000 more in aid or $100,000 in the bank? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that's, I just think it's such a good point to make. And while certainly it might be a really difficult time to save money, if you can still save even just a little bit, even if it's half of what you were doing before or a quarter of what you were doing before, um, mm-hmm. I think it's valuable, right? To your point. And it might end up, if you can invest it now, it may end up growing to the point where it's even more valuable to you down the road. So that's exactly right. All right. So then actually the next in your, um, your SERP, which I would agree, questionable acronym, but whatever it works, maybe Not people great. invest, will remember is <laughs> investing. So what's mm-hmm. the difference between investing and saving, especially if you're putting money in a 529 plan that's being invested? Right, right. So for the investment part of my SERP, it's more of an investment in your, in the student, in your, in the, in your child. And what I mean investment is, um, is there anything that you can be doing that will help them get better grades or help them get a better, you know, standardized test score or help them, you know, is there some tutoring that you could do to increase those or, um, you know, some test prep to increase those or, uh, is there some kind of um, enrichment program that uh, you can have them go to? Um, because you know, yes, there's a, a an initial outlay in, in money for those, but the possibility of getting a merit scholarship—I mean, that could be the return on the investment for uh, you know putting the money out for test prep or tutoring or or educational enrichments. It could be outweighed by getting a merit scholarship, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is a really good one because. I agree. Sometimes it's worth the investment in something like test prep because sometimes uh, a couple more points on the ACT or a few hundred more points on the SAT could be the difference between qualifying for a merit scholarship or not, or getting a bigger merit scholarship, right, than the one that you might have had. And by the same token, getting involved, doing things outside of the classroom doesn't have to cost money, but sometimes there are options that do cost money. And weighing the benefits of if I invest $500,000 in this today and my student gets a lot out of it that then, you know, they're writing about in their essay or that they're including in their activities list or that actually helps them bank some experience in their field of interest. These could all be beneficial for exactly the same types of things like merit scholarships or like not spinning your wheels when you get to college because you've tried out a particular area and you know that you really like it or that you don't. <laughs> and so you're you know, not necessarily wasting time and money taking classes towards a major that you ultimately won't like, or that when you get out and you get a job in the field, you decide, wow, this is not the field for me. So, I don't want this, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's sort of that adage, you spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. It's a little, um, it, it, it doesn't kind of jive with, it doesn't seem logical. And yet I do feel like it, it can be something worthwhile. Um, the one caveat that I would add is just, you have to make sure that your kid will engage. So it doesn't do you any good, right? To spend money and invest in them. If they're not going to take advantage of the program or participate in the test prep and that kind of thing. Very, very true. Very true. That the whole lead a horse to water thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So you don't put good money after bad if your child is not going to engage 
Um, that's a whole other conversation for another day. So cool. <laughs> um, all right, so the, the next uh, letter in your acronym is R. So what's R stand for? Um, that That was the perfect time to research and research some specific things. So um, specifically, now is the time to determine if the family might qualify for any need-based aid when the student goes to college. And there's a, a couple of ways to do that. And there's a couple of really good reasons to do that. So um, right now they could run an expected family contribution calculator that's on the College Board's website. It'll take about four and a half minutes. And it will, you know, it will ask all of the same questions that the financial aid application asks uh, as far as finances and family. And then it will say, based on this, the student's expected family contribution is this, and it will, mm -hmm. it will say it. And that's the number that colleges use to determine if that student qualifies for any need-based aid at their school. Mm -hmm. So if the family is running the expected family contribution calculator and they're changing the inputs, what happens if, you know, our income goes to this? What happens if our assets are this? And the expected family contribution continues to come out at, you know, $80,000 or higher that family is just not going to qualify for any need-based aid. And it just means, okay, we redirect our focus and, and start looking at merit opportunities, that's all. But if the family does qualify for some need-based aid, then there's definitely some things, some planning things that they could be doing um, that will benefit them when the student does go off to, to college. Before we get to that planning, that last P, um, can we talk for a minute just about the merit aid? So you said, you know, those families where it's becoming very clear, you are not going to qualify for any need-based aid. And yet you're potentially thinking to yourself, well, it's really great that they believe I can contribute $80,000 or more, but I don't believe I can contribute $80,000 or more, or maybe more to the point for some people, I don't want to contribute $80,000 or more because... I personally feel like that's too much. And, um, you know, I have a, a base of what I think is more reasonable to pay for this. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people automatically go to the, oh, I need to do a scholarship search. I need to apply for um, scholarships that are available out there. And, you know, they, they are hoping that their child will engage in this. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Is that the best way to go about getting merit aid? I, I would say no. Just, I mean, there, there are outside scholarships out there, but um, I believe uh, the, the most recent statistic we saw said that only about 7% of uh, a college's um, college bills are paid by outside scholarships and employer reimbursement. So the outside scholarship is actually even less than that. The much larger um the much the, the much better way to look for out, uh, scholarships is from the schools themselves. Yeah. So, and, and the best way to do that is to have what we call it, you know, that balanced college list. Don't just have your student apply to all of the, you know, top tier schools. Make sure that there are some, some schools where, yeah, he'll definitely get in and make sure that there are some of those no problem schools, because those are going to be the schools that have, or have the higher, higher likelihood of offering the merit scholarships to the student. So, Right. And if those and this could be part of the research piece, right, you could be looking at schools of interest and see what they say about merit scholarships at the school. Do they have any criteria? Right. And therefore, can your child be working towards that? That's a great example of how do you know if two more points on the SAT might get you more money? Well, if you've done the research and the school has laid it out for you, it might be pretty clear. And therefore, you will know maybe it's worth it to 
um, invest in a little bit more test prep so that my student can hit that number and therefore then qualify for maybe more merit aid. That's exactly right. Some schools are so good about laying it out in a grid. If you hit this benchmark, you get this amount of money. And right. if your kid is one point away from that, maybe. Then, that's exactly right. Then you're going to be uh, out of luck. All right. So let's go to the last P in your acronym, and that stands for planning. So back to the whole need-based uh, aid piece, you mentioned that planning ahead is going to be really important here. So what can you share with us about that? Yeah. Absolutely. So the, what families need to determine is what are the base years of income that will be included on the financial aid application for their student? So if you have a, uh, and I had to write this out for myself because I <laughs> do it in my head. So if you have a, a 10th grader, then that student is going to start college in 2022 and 2020 income is going to be included on that financial aid and uh, application. Yes, 2020, what we're going through right now is going to be on the financial aid application for your sophomore's uh, freshman year in college. My son. Yes. 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 <laughs> right now. So, it's impacting him for later. Okay. Exactly. And and for uh, families with freshmen, then that's going to be the 2021 income. So if, if you've done the research and you think, yes, there's a possibility for some need-based aid, the, and you know what the base years are going to be that, of income that you're looking at, um, then you're going to want to um, try not to have any kind of, you know, big bumps in income during that year. Don't sell a property that causes a capital gain. Um, you know, just be mindful that the income for this year is going to impact your sophomore and the income for next year is going to impact your, your freshman. Um, so, it, if if the family doesn't qualify for any need-based aid, they don't need to do much of this planning. But right. if they if they do have the possibility to have some need-based aid, then definitely do some planning during this period. Right. You don't want to make a choice out of the blue this year that you've been chugging along, you're going to qualify for need-based aid, and then all of a sudden, because of a bad choice that you make, or a choice that you make, bad or good, right, this year... <laughs> that suddenly means that now you're not going to qualify for aid or you're going to qualify for significantly less aid. Yes. Yes. I, I did that exact thing. I got married and we went from have, you know, getting some need-based aid to not getting need-based aid. Yeah. Yeah. That is a tricky one. It was just a choice. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Right. It's a choice. It was a great choice for you personally. And in the end, you guys worked it out, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a choice and, and it can, has wider ranging impacts, it right? Um, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, that I think people don't always realize. Any last tips, um, Tara, before we um, say goodbye? Uh, just real quick about the assets. So if you do qualify for need-based aid, uh, the assets are as of the day that you file your financial aid form. So it's not, the, the income looks at that one particular year, assets look as of the day that you file. So if you qualify for some need-based aid, then be careful with your, your assets between now and when you do your, um, your financial aid applications. Got it. So if you file your application the day it's available in October, October 1st, and then you sell that piece of property after that, then that's not gonna impact you at least for freshman year, but then of course it will be part of the calculation the following year. Right, right, Got so it. there are strategies to do with timing. Got it, all right. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. It's my uh, pleasure, thank you. Absolutely, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna be talking about extracurricular activity planning 
for the younger set. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are doing a show devoted to ninth and 10th graders today. And in our final segment, we're going to be talking about planning for extracurricular activities. And I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, Jen Simons, who's a former uh, admissions officer at a number of places, Tufts, Barnard, Connecticut College, Northeastern. She's worked at a lot of places and she has a lot of insight and I'm excited to have her join us. Hi, Jen. Hi, it's great to see you, Beth. You too. Um, and one of these days, perhaps we will see each other in person again. Um, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, so I, why don't we talk, why don't we start the segment by talking about extracurricular activities, things students do outside of the classroom. Why is this important? What is the role that they play? Okay, so forget for a second about college. I know that's hard, even in the ninth grade for parents and students sometimes to forget about the admissions process, but you need extracurricular activities because you want to stay healthy and happy and life isn't just about going to class and coming home and you know hopefully you know there's a little bit of watching tv or video games or whatever but you need others other things to help you develop as a person and yes. so that's what extracurriculars are all about it's about finding out what you like to do um, it's about trying new things and challenging yourself and yes you're going to need to be involved in other things to, you know, ideally get into the college you want, but it's not really even about that. It's about making friends and discovering new interests and reinforcing old ones. So that should be the emphasis when you think about what you want to do um, when you enter high school. Right. Keeping busy. Keeping busy means keeping out of trouble. <laughs> so maybe not crazy busy, but just busy enough so that you're not maybe getting involved in things you shouldn't have. I think of this as sort of like another ulterior benefit to extracurricular activities. All right, so let's say you're in eighth grade, you're in ninth grade now, um, or you know, just as an eighth grader thinking about ninth grade, how do you decide what you wanna do? 
That's a great question. So the the eighth graders um, and ninth graders I've spoken to tend to fall into one of two camps. The first is the kid that wants to do everything, that wants to try everything, that wants to join teams and drama and music and art and the paper, you know, just bananas and is not going to be able to do everything. And then I have the I don't know what I want to do. And then mom or dad or someone, you know, says, well, you have to do something, yes. you know? And so um, there is obviously a happy median medium between these two, you know, polar opposites. And so essentially I, my advice is to, for the person that wants to do everything and for the person actually who doesn't want to do anything, <laughs> actually it's the same advice. So think about, what you would enjoy the most, obviously, and think about something that would come easily and naturally to you and and something that you would consider fun um, that wouldn't be um, a a chore to go to. Because obviously, you know, there's some extracurricular activities, even if you love them, when you're doing, you know, drama, memorizing your lines might not be the most fun part, but hanging out with your friends and being on the on the set and interacting after school might be fun. You know, same with sports. You're going to have the really difficult practices, but you're also going to have the really rewarding ones. But really, the first thing you should think about is what would I love to do if nobody was forcing me to do it? Right. And and forget about what colleges want, because the truth is, and I say this all the time, I, I almost say this every day on the phone, colleges have no expectations or desires when it comes to extracurricular activities. There's right. no one saying you have to volunteer. There's no one saying you have to do athletics. Maybe your high school is saying you have to volunteer, right. but that's different. Right. What what colleges want is for you to be involved. And I know, I'm, of course, I'm putting it back to colleges, but just just deal with me. It for is a part second. of why we're doing this. I mean, okay. we have to acknowledge that it is part of it. It is part of it. So yes. there's, but the nice thing is, is that there's no preference. If right. you're an artist, do art. If you're an athlete, do athletics. If you want to volunteer, do volunteering. And this might change over the course of the four years that you're in high school. But ideally, by picking something you really love and doesn't feel like a chore and that your friends are doing is going to make it easier for you to sustain that over the four years and you can discover other things. Now, the flip side of that, and I don't know that anybody's going to take this advice, but if one person does, I promise it's going to make your life better, (laughs) is that I want you to choose something that's outside of your comfort zone. So the opposite of what I've told you to do. You know how all your friends are going to be in drama or choir or art or uh, bowling or I don't know, whatever. I want you to do the opposite. I want you to pick some club that has absolutely no appeal to you. I'm trying to think what that would have been for me, maybe that bowling club or whatever. And with people you don't know, and I just want you to go to the first meeting. I want you to step outside your comfort zone. And this is actually the same advice that I have for students that are in college too. You're going to easily get along with people that share similar interests, but if you could just pick one thing, and you don't even have to continue with it, but just pick one thing that challenges you a little bit and just try it, that's all I ask. Yeah, no, I totally, I love this advice. I wish that I could have gotten my own son to take it, but I was not successful One thing I actually I do want to shout out to the parents out there, especially parents of kids who don't seem to want to do anything. Um, The tendency can be to choose it for them 
yeah. you know, after you say you have to do something and then finally they pick nothing. So finally you say, okay, you're going to do this. Um, I have never seen that be successful. And I will tell you, I, I've never met a better debater than my son. He could debate me on anything. And, um, you know, if I don't have my mind in it and fully, um, you know, invest in it, he will have me talked around in circles and agreeing to things that I never should have agreed to in the first place. But he refuses, he refused early on to try out for debate. And while I really tried to make a case for it and pushed for it, he just wasn't interested. And so at the end of the day, I walked away from that idea. I think he really would have enjoyed it. We will never know because he wasn't willing to try it. Um, but he is doing things that he does enjoy. And as a result, he's much more committed to those things. And I just, from a parent perspective, that's one thing I really, really encourage parents to do. Set the expectation that you must choose something to get involved in. I would say ideally three things. Maybe you do one thing each sports season. Doesn't have to be a sport, but you devote your time to at least one thing each of those but you stop short of being the person who chooses for your child. Um, because I just don't think that ends well, but that's me. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is committing to your extracurricular activities. What do you think is, do you have to decide everything in ninth grade? Is there any leeway there? No, you don't have to decide everything in ninth grade, but, so again, going back to colleges, I do think that when I when I talk to students about um, a, a strong extracurricular profile, you do want two things. You want some depth and some breadth. And so you certainly don't want, and I'm, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows that you don't want your, your student doing a couple of things every year that just different things every year. I mean, you can, you can, have that you can add new things every year and be a little bit of a dilettante and try as long as there's kind of a core of uh, consistency within some of the activities that you're doing right. so if you have if you run track and you also do student government all four years that's great then you can do baking club for a, you know a couple of years I often see actually students as they get more comfortable and this is of course natural um you know in 11th grade trying new things in 12th even in senior year because suddenly it feels liberating to you know be able to do or maybe there's pressure on you to do all the things that you want to do before you graduate. So whatever it is, you need to be, have some consistency. So I don't want to minimize the importance of choice and choosing the right activities in ninth grade, because it's very nice to be able to continue those and not only continue those, but deepen those um, right. over the four years. And, you know, not look, not everybody is going to be president of student government. That's not what I'm talking about. But remaining involved and taking on either additional leadership activities, if that's your style, or, you know, some extracurricular activities don't even provide you with leadership activities. I mean, it's just an, an expertise. So you're becoming a stronger runner or a stronger violin player or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that what you start in ninth grade is important. So be cautious about what you start and know that you can acquire new things. You can drop things if you don't 
enjoy them, but there should be some core activities that you're able to follow through with. And ideally, you know, they, they could be activities, quite frankly, that you do your whole life. You know, you're not playing professional tennis now, but you still play tennis on the weekends or, right. you know, whatever. So that's another actually good way to think about this. What could translate into being my hobby when mm-hmm. I'm in college or later on? Right. No, I think that's great advice. And I think one um, one thing I encourage students who are in eighth grade and are thinking about this is we certainly see lots of students who have been really involved in things before they ever get to high school. So maybe you've been playing soccer since you were a third grader or even younger. Uh, I always encourage kind of a some some introspection. Is this something you want to keep playing for four more years, right? Mm-hmm. Most kids will say, absolutely, I love this sport. I'm going to keep doing it. But maybe you're already burned out. And maybe rather than playing soccer, you were actually hoping to take up, uh, I don't know, um, field hockey, just trying mm-hmm. to think of what are two fall sports that you might do. Um, and so you were actually thinking, I'm going to drop the soccer and I'm going to take field hockey. If you have an inkling, you might want to do that in, when you're in eighth grade, then make the change and go into high school and commit to field hockey rather than keeping doing it, knowing in your heart that you're not really invested in it. And then after ninth grade, you decide, I really don't want to do this anymore. It's not the end of the world if that's how you approach it, but it is even better if you can recognize that this is maybe not something you're going to want to do for four more years before you commit to it in ninth grade. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, not everyone will be able to, but something to think about. One, um, I sometimes find that families are surprised when they learn that something like a job, a part-time job is considered an extracurricular activity. What are your thoughts on jobs as things for students to do versus joining a club at school? Oh, absolutely. But before I I talk about that, what you said reminded me of something that I see not frequently, but but enough to mention it is that I have a lot of students that were gymnasts, for example, yes. who don't want to do gymnastics because that's kind of a popular middle school and um, elementary school activity. And they, they uh, turn to diving, for example. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's about... Um, you know, letting us help you or getting ideas about, okay, this is what I do. I can't necessarily continue this, but what can this then become in high school and beyond? So just sorry for that diversion. No, but, no, good point. Good point. Um, jobs, absolutely. I mean, the expectation and the and the requirements in most places is that you can't get a paid job before a certain age. I mean, it varies, right? But, oh, there's no question about it jobs are extracurricular activities. My my mother, thank you, mom, said to me, I think it was, you know, junior year, I think it's time that you get a job. <laughs> and I got a job at the local, you know, Baskin Robbins. And that was part of my, um, you know, extracurricular resume, no question about it. Um, it doesn't have to be a fancy internship. It doesn't have to be something, you know, that's related to, you know, what you want to do as a career. A part-time job is legitimate. Doing things with your religious organization, not going to services per se. I mean, this is the difference. Going to services with your family is not an extracurricular activity, right. but being involved in some capacity in the church or, you know, synagogue or mosque or whatever it is, is. And then, you know, also I say this, the best example I can use is the dog walking. So when, you know, walking your family's dog is a chore, that's not really an extracurricular activity, but walking your neighbor's dog for pay 
is an extracurricular activity and organizing all the kids on the block to be part of a dog walking organization is a fabulous extracurricular activity right. if you're so motivated. So that's how you have to think about it. Um, chores are not extracurricular activities unless unless they really are um, integral to the functioning of your family. And there are certainly plenty of kids out there who take care of their siblings and it goes beyond what I would think of as a as a chore into my family really couldn't function if I didn't drive my siblings to, you know, their extra school activities or whatever. So that's again, that's something that we can we can help you with, but I don't want to I don't want to minimize the role of uh, helping with your family um, as an extracurricular. I think ideally, Beth, you have a balance of extracurricular activities that are connected to your school, that mm -hmm. are connected to your community, and that are paid. Yeah. You know, so, and that paid, again, I think it starts later, usually 11th or 12th grade, but that would be really lovely um, if you could have a nice balance of all those three. Right, right. And again, I want to underscore what you said earlier, which is, it's nice if you have a balance of those three, it might contribute to be you being a better person or just more ready to face the world. The colleges don't require that you have a balance of the three. Um, okay. And I think that's a, a really important. But as you think about what you could be doing, I think that's a really nice way to think about it. Um, uh, those kind of three areas. And the reality is that extracurricular is not limited to school organizations. It, it encompasses a lot more than that. And I think that's a really great point. Any final thoughts as we come close to the end of the show on this issue of, of thinking about getting involved? Yeah, I just, I really want students, younger students in particular, to remember that this is fun. This should be fun. You know, um, yep. you should be learning about yourself and you could be learning about something else or strengthening yourself in other ways. But the idea that you get this time to be with your classmates and your friends and enjoy yourself, um, I really do think there's a lot of pressure um, in today's competitive environment, whatever colleges you're applying to, to think about this as the destination. But in fact, this is the joy of high school. Um, other than learning, of course, this is really what is going to be some some the things that I remember when I think about high school are my drama club, are my job at Baskin Robbins, you know, things like that. That was the texture of my high school experience. Right. I I would agree. And so much as so you could think of it as fun. I think we would both encourage that. Jen, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Great to see you. Thank you as always. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um we want to, I want to thank Jen and all my guests this week. Um, next week, Sally is going to be here hosting. Um, we're going to be doing a follow-up segment on computer science. Um, we did one a couple of weeks ago, but this time we're going to be providing the college's perspective. Um, we're also going to be talking about standardized testing advice for current juniors amidst all the challenges that are being brought up by COVID-19. Uh, and then also online versus on-campus thinking about funding your college education um, with those in mind. Um, you can always send us your questions to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And um, if you are interested, we blog about all of our podcasts. So visit our blog, blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.